This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. I'm your host, KC Finey, and this is Creative Conversation, a Fast Company podcast. Noah Baumbach has been making films for 25 years, but his latest is no doubt the buzziest one that he's created yet. Marriage Story has been sweeping award shows in the lead-up to the Oscars, and for good reason. It's that kind of emotional gut punch that serves as a masterclass in acting and directing. In our conversation, Noah explains what trips him up during the writing process, the art of constructing an effective fight scene, and, interestingly enough, why he doesn't yell action on set. Well, Noah, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So... You've been making movies now for, what, like 24, 25 years? Yeah, it, it sounds better if we say 25. It just sounds like, you know, I've been making movies for 25 years. Uh, but I think it's technically, well, 20, I, I, I've been making them for 25, but, right. but it would be 24 since Kicking and Screaming came out. Because I was going to say, so from your first film, Kicking and Screaming, to your most recent film, Marriage Story, how would you say you've evolved as a storyteller? It's a good question. It's hard for me to judge it because I, I think I'm... You're in it. <laughs> I'm in it, yeah. I'm, <laughs> and I've also grown up a lot. I mean, I, right. I, I mean, quite literally. I mean, I was 24 when I right. started making Kicking and Screaming. I was 25, 26 when it came out. So um, by nature, feel like a different person at 50 than I was at, at 24. And I don't generally or ever watch my movies uh, that I, again, I mean, I mm. watched, I've seen them so many times when I'm making them, <laughs> right. but, uh, but occasionally for whatever reason you, you have to. And, and I, uh, Criterion did a, uh, an edition of Kicking and Screaming. Mm-hmm. So I went back and watched it and a few years ago and to, to your question, it was interesting because it was, there were so many things that felt uh, like I felt like, Oh, why did I make that? Why did I choose that? Or this is, you know, just cut. Just get out of the scene. It's over. Um, but, you know, all the things you feel anyway. But I also was struck by a spirit and a feeling in it that only I could do at that time. Right. So while I had this sort of this, these concurrent thoughts and feelings of both, oh, I would do so much differently now, I also felt I'm really glad I made that then. Hmm. And so, and I feel that's a real, it's been a a privilege that I've been able to continue to make movies through my life and for that reason, because they are, sometimes not in obvious ways or ways I'm even conscious of, they are all what I was interested in that time. It was yeah. the way I felt I could communicate the thoughts and feelings I was having right. came through in the story that is that movie. And you know that that's kind of a moving idea and, right. and, and for me. And it's nice to have these documents. Yeah. So when you sit down to write a script, what do you find gets in your way the most? Like what are those major impediments to your process? That's yeah. That's a good question. I I think. Well, there's always that point when, it's like um you know I'll be walking down the street and I'll have, some thought will occur to me. You know I'm daydreaming and something occurs and I think that would be great in the thing I'm working mm-hmm. on now, and I'll, 
either write it down or speak it into my phone quickly. And then I'll come back and I'll sit down at the computer, whatever it is, if I you know, maybe going to an appointment, it's not for another two hours or something, right. and I'll sit back down and I will try to capture that exciting mm. moment and feeling. And it's very difficult to recreate. <laughs> yes, and often it, 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 you know, and I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure you have <laughs> similar. And so sometimes it just doesn't, it, it really just doesn't work. It's right. like, it just, it is something, and who knows, if you could have beamed it into the script at that moment, maybe it would have worked. Or maybe it was just felt good because it was out of the context of the script. But sometimes it does take reworking. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's those moments of inspiration. And then there's pushing the boulder up the hill. And, mm -hmm. and so much of it is pushing the boulder up the hill. And that doesn't feel as good as the moments of inspiration. So mm -hmm. it's trying to embrace the sort of sweat of it. And some days it just is like, I'm just got to get through this scene. Mm -hmm. And wonderful writer named Deborah Eisenberg. She's a, a, an amazing short story writer. And she, I, I saw her talking about uh, writing and uh, once just in general. And she was saying that for her, it's so much of the process is the rewriting to take all the cliches out. Mm, uh, yeah. And I thought, well, that's, it's what, what's great about that is what she's acknowledging is, is that they aren't all gems in the you know even they aren't even all points of inspiration they are sometimes very common cliched ideas but you're transforming them into something else in the context of what you're doing right. and you know and she's talking about language too because of course it's on the page so she's you know rewriting sentences to have poetry that maybe they wouldn't have but i think that it's true in for movie writing as well which is that sometimes a scene says too overtly what the scene is about, and it's it's tr trying to rewrite it so that you're finding language and behavior that sort of says the same thing but doesn't say it overtly. Mm -hmm. Other times it's because I've gone too far the other way, which is maybe even more common in my writing, which is that it's like too much is living in the cracks of it, and I need to bring it out yeah. so that the audience understands what you know why this scene is in the movie. Yeah. And Kind of parallel to that, you know, I was going to ask you, what have you learned in terms of kind of the continuity of a creative idea? Because, you know, what I mean by that is that you have an idea for something, that idea becomes a script, and that, and then that idea becomes a film. And so you have so many opportunities for that idea to shift from what you've originally thought of it as. So for you, how do you keep that creative continuity, or is that something that you even struggle with? Well, and, and it can be a different challenge on different movies mm -hmm. because sometimes I have less of a clear creative idea and maybe more of a creative feeling mm -hmm. like it's an image that feels compelling to me right. uh, is there an example uh, of that well the, the the movie I made after the squid and the whale called Margot at the wedding oh, which I um, love that movie thank you that's a good one <laughs> um, that and I would say this the, the, that's probably the most I would say it's not the most abstract necessarily, but it's the most. I really went with the feeling of each scene. I mm. was I was thinking much less about. I really didn't know where I was going when I was writing it. Right. Um, I think more so than anything I've written. I had an image and idea of a woman and a boy on a train, mm -hmm. and I built it from there. So it was where are they coming from? Where are they going? What is their relationship? Right. You know, all those things. I and in answering those, it gave me new ideas to go forward, and 
you know, I built the script out that way. Mm. I mean, later I rewrote it and, and shaped it, and, but I still wanted to keep in that movie that feeling of discovery. Right. Um, and visually, when we, uh, Harris Savitas, who shot the movie with me, was a wonderful cinematographer who I worked with on Margot and Greenberg, um, and he passed away, but he really one of the greats. And one thing that we did visually, which was a companion to that idea of discovery, was there were no establishing shots in the entire hmm. movie. It was all, it, every scene also we would come into in the middle and we would leave yeah. before it's over. And it's a movie too where there's like a house that's kind of a major character in a sense in the movie. And we never showed the house as like, there, there's never like that shot, like that shot at nighttime or of shot course, at daytime and then right. you go in, um, which gives the audience a moment to breathe it gives you a sense of place mm -hmm. and okay now i know where i am now we go forward and we didn't do that in that movie it was all sort of a, a, a like i said i think a, a sense of discovery it also mm -hmm. created a kind of unnerving feeling which was was also part of it yeah and you mentioned you love to share early versions of the script with your collaborators and the actors and so f for you i mean like how much allowance do you give your actors to move within your creativity, so to speak. Like once the script is there and you're shooting and you know everything's going, how much how much allowance do you give them to interpret what you wrote to well, embody these characters? Well, I I find giving them real structure and a real framework, and and that involves blocking. Mm -hmm. It involves the dialogue on the page. I think that then gives them a lot of freedom to be present, which yeah. is what they do, and to. I want them, the reason I bring them in early is I want them to come to it organically on themselves mm. too, to be part of it. I mean, sometimes blocking, I have strong ideas about it and, and I'll say, are you, you know, I'd love you to go over here into the kitchen in this sequence mm -hmm. while you're talking. You know, how does that feel? You know, and they, they'll try it. And, it, you know, of course it needs to work for both of us. I have no interest in coming up with blocking you know, by myself and then saying, go do this. Right. It needs to make sense for them. But once we've gone through all that, I'm always excited to see what they're going to do. Mm. Um, and now we've rehearsed a lot, so I'm inside it with them. We've created part of rehearsal, I find, besides being sort of technical and blocking, is also creating a language for the two of us, the right. way for us to communicate together. And part of that is it can be different with different actors. And sometimes it's different with actors within the same scene. Mm -hmm. And and that's part of it as well. I mean, it, it's sort of understanding how I can be most helpful to them. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, what I need from them to accomplish what I've set out to do. Mm -hmm. But I find if I can bring the actors in early and talk to them and they can understand where I'm coming from, then it gives them a head start on the, on this process. I mean, Adam Driver says, you know, like he's never improvised on one of my movies, but he feels like he has emotionally and, you know, as an actor, he's improvising, you know, in the sense that he's being in the moment. Mm -hmm. He's just not inventing any dialogue. Right. And, you know, you mentioned that you like that feeling of it, everything kind of flowing organically. And that actually speaks to what I was going to ask you. I, heard, I read that you don't like to yell action on mm -hmm. set because you like to kind of obscure that line between uh, between like starting and stopping and you just want everything to kind of flow naturally. So I would love to hear a little bit more about why that's important to you and is there an example of that paying off in, in a significant way in one of your films? Like having that, not having that clear line of uh, demarcation of starting and stopping. Yeah, well, I, I think I, I sort of came to it 
working with kids because there's often it's very natural for kids to sort of delineate between the acting and then the yeah. you know the the hangout or the you yeah. know just the, the stuff <laughs> and so i was looking for ways for them to feel like they could you know sometimes i would i would even be sneaky and turn the camera on and not <laughs> quite say it and then of course I've had kids then, of course, they start to recognize when it's rolling. Right. <laughs> and, and, uh, um, but I'd, I found in that just sort of this sort of conversing of why I sort of had that reflected on sort of the, the process of filmmaking and thought, well, why do we do this? Like, why are we starting and stop? I mean, we start and stop naturally, but like, why do we have to kind of acknowledge mm. that so dramatically? Because I think it's true for adult actors, too. It's it, it's it's like... You know, okay, here goes, kind mm -hmm. of thing. As opposed to, it's not, it's not, we're not, it's not a swim meet where, like, you know, you, you know, you, you go at <laughs> right. the starter pistol and everyone jumps in. You know, it, it doesn't need to be that. Yeah. You know, why doesn't everyone just jump in when they're ready? Exactly, you know, yeah. and and because it doesn't matter who gets there first or last. <laughs> you know, it's more like so. I do find that sort of the drama of action mm -hmm. doesn't feel right on my sets. I get it for other directors, and certainly I can imagine if you had a bullhorn and you know right. it's raining and there's cars and it's a whole you know yeah if you have like timed action or something something right. that needed to like explode <laughs> right know? if if I ever direct a Fast and the Furious I, Which, I think I, <laughs> listen um, I, I probably will have to bend and yell action but um, bring some delightful dramatic quirkiness <laughs> to the, the Fast and Furious franchise um, <laughs> but I I like that and I because I also just like that feeling of I'd like to keep the crews as kind of small as possible to have to just to have everybody focused and 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 there to play yeah. to play and slash work and so we're all there we'll you know we're t maybe we're conversation about the scene or there's something you know, something we're checking they can check the dolly move make sure everybody's kind of got it and then it's sort of like why don't we try it and it's sort of like this I I feel like well let's just turn on the camera and and I often like a tail slate also because, of course, a slate always feels like, okay, here comes the scene. Yeah. Uh, so We're all conditioned to feel that way. Yeah, <laughs> like even, yeah. even in like pop culture, it's like, that's yeah, not that I know. The, well, these things, even if you don't make movies, I think like a slate and action are things that we really associate with like, and now begin. Yeah. And so taking out and now begin, that's kind of, I guess, what I'm trying to do. This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. So I want to talk about Marriage Story because, you know, we were talking a little bit, a little bit before um, we started recording and I was just kind of gushing about it because, as I mentioned to you, like this is just such a beautiful punch in the gut. And... You know, you described this film perfectly before as a love story told through divorce. And with that in mind, you know, I would imagine that's that's kind of a hard thing to pull off. I'm just curious to know, like from the title to the film's opening scenes, like talk to me about your creative decisions to support what you wanted this movie to be. Because it's a very delicate balance. Not to say that all divorces, you know, screaming and <laughs> screaming and yelling, but you know, it's it is a very delicate balance to kind of marry those themes together. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> excuse the pun. <laughs> but <laughs> how did you like talk to me some of, about those creative decisions to execute that idea you had for this film? Well, when I did come up with the opening sequences, mm -hmm. so well done. Thank you. Uh, I, I think it gave me a kind of guide for what the movie was going to be. I mean, in a sense, it's you could call it a fake out in that yeah. it's you could say, well, oh, this is not a guide for how the movie's <laughs> going to be. But actually, what I felt was, in a, in a sense, it's a fake out in a fake out because your <laughs> experience when we're watching them, when it's over, it's like, oh, these were this, what felt so immediate and intimate and of family mm -hmm. um, and love is now immediately past tense. And maybe, if you want to go even further, how much of it ha actually happened, we find out these are things written down. These are interpretations. Mm -hmm. These are inside mm -hmm. their heads. And so there's immediately that. But if what I felt was, well, but these things are, are going to be true the whole movie, it, it, you know, even though the movie goes in another direction. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of my guide was all these little things in life, these feelings we've had for a person right. and still have as the mediator uh, even says in the beginning, don't just go away overnight right. and, and or ever, no matter, even if you're no longer going to be married. Mm -hmm. And so I was always conscious of love existing in every scene, but also of life. And I mean that in the broad sense of like, the things of our life, the little things of our life are going to exist right. no matter what is happening. Because the divorce process, the legal process of divorce is, as we see in the movie, is really consumes their lives. It takes right. takes over their lives. It almost literally, almost literally strips them of their voices. Right. I mean, they it removes their voices and other people start speaking for them. And we see so that. So let the lawyers handle it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And we see this on their faces. Right. These, they've, they've, they're kind of... I mean, to say rudderless is probably even an understatement. They, it's just been, it's been all-consuming. But all these little things don't go away. So still, you need your hair cut. You know, mm -hmm. you, still, you order lunch. Yeah. St still, you get your child ready for school. You write a check for, to your lawyer. Mm -hmm. You know, these, all these things that are sort of included in the movie, I felt in, were the movie. You know, the things that I was like, well, normally you wouldn't, you don't often see lawyers uh, say how much they charge, mm -hmm. or or and then even after that, watch somebody write a check to their lawyer. Yeah. That's the stuff you kind of assume in a movie. I, I imagine that happened at some point. Yeah, right. <laughs> they talked about money, <laughs> and I thought, well, but that's that should be emphasized. That should be you know that's and and, and so all of that went into as I was writing it. Once I understood that, and I didn't understand it right away, but once I understood it. That was a guide for me going forward. Right. Okay. And, you know, I feel like many people have been saying that this is actually your best film to date. And, you know, do you think you could have, kind of talking, speaking back to what we were, we were talking about earlier, I mean, do you think you could have made a movie like this earlier in your career? Like, what about your, not only your personal experience, but the skill set you have developed as a writer and a director over the years made this story possible now? Yeah, I think I'll often have ideas for things or like, oh, I'd love to do a movie in this milieu or I'd mm -hmm. love to, uh, this character is so interesting to me or this location is so interesting to me, but I don't know where it goes. Like, it feels like a movie to me, but I don't know what that movie is. I don't feel prepared to, to make that movie or tell that story for whatever reason. There are things that, that I've hung on to for a while that 
just thoughts or genres where I think like, oh, that would really be fun to do that kind of thing, but I don't know my way into it. And what I then try to be, remain open to is when I feel ready to do it mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and to take then to take that opportunity. And it generally kind of has found its way, like while I've been finishing one movie, I will start to feel, okay, I think this one might be something I'm going to try now. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes those are false starts and something else catches on. But it, I almost think of it as like all these wires and when like a wire, suddenly an electrical current, mm-hmm. you know, it's like they're dead and then suddenly they're alive. You know, it's <laughs> like, and, and I try to follow that. Right. Um, and I think that's true, certainly, for Marriage Story. There are many things in this movie that I've thought about over the years and, and not had a place for or mm-hmm. known how to tell them. Right. And it's always interesting how then they end up getting told. You know, I had, when I was first tried to write what became The Squid and the Whale, but I, was, I didn't know what I was writing. And I was writing about adult brothers who had been the product of divorce and mm-hmm. sort of how it had affected how, their relationship with their parents as adults. And, and then I thought, like, I started as I was doing it. I was thinking, oh well, I'd love to. I almost found myself writing like what would be flashbacks. I was like, you know, and then I, th- I just happened to go see the Louis Malle uh, movie Murmur of the Heart, which mm-hmm. was all about kids. And I just like had that like dummy. It's the kids. <laughs> it's put the it ki- in yeah, 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 yeah. It's the kids. <laughs> right. And so alive that movie, and so it was that immediacy. And I thought, but why am I doing this in reflection? This should be. Right. And but then the Meyerowitz stories, which is over. 10 years after that is about adult siblings mm-hmm. um, and contending with divorce and their parents and different mm-hmm. lives. And But when I wrote that, I wasn't thinking like, oh, I'm going to return to the thing that I didn't do. I just found myself writing that story. Right. And I was, it clearly was, I was ready to do it then that way. So mm-hmm. it, I think really it's like trying to just remain open. But it sort of goes back to your first question, which is, it isn't magic either, you you know, and it isn't yeah. it, it isn't whatever the one percent inspiration, ninety yeah. percent perspiration. It, it, right. I mean, that, that that's it is that, and sometimes it does take sitting down and just pushing through and writing some scenes and not being precious about well, am I ready or am I not ready? It's mm-hmm. like well, let's see, let's see, because right. sometimes I might not feel ready, and then I'm able to figure something out. Right. And, you know, of course, there have been a, a good amount of films constructed around this this topic of divorce. I mean, Kramer versus Kramer, The War of the Roses, uh, Separation, What Maisie Knew, Shoot the Moon, like even Squid and the Whale, as you mentioned. So what do you think Marriage Story adds to this cinematic discourse about divorce? I didn't honestly think about it in terms of, like, adding to mm-hmm. any kind of d- discourse about divorce. I mean... There's relatively, I would say, fewer movies about divorce than there are about marriage or yeah. family or, you know, yeah. I mean, and it's, it's, and and I always saw, like, I mean, it's in the title. I, I saw the movie is about marriage, and, and even though it's told in divorce, similarly, I saw Squid and Whale is about childhood mm-hmm. and about a, 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 a kind of necessary disillusionment with mm-hmm. your parents mm-hmm. uh, that comes for all of us at some point. Right. Um, and what divorce provided in that context was it kind of cracks open, it turns a, a unified couple into two individuals mm. who now whose imperfections are now clearer to their children maybe than when they were unified. Right. And it, I found it gave opportunity. Well, you know, of course, being about divorce in many ways, it was also was 
just about family and yeah. about childhood and adolescence and pre-adolescence and um, and marriage story. I think I saw is about marriage and about love and about parents and about family mm-hmm. uh, and redefining family um, and redefining love. I mean, it is about how all these things, as I said, sort of don't go away. They just have to find a new way, a new mm-hmm. way to fit them into your life now right. that you're no longer in the same situation. Right. And I mean, one of my favorite scenes in the film, if not my favorite, is that blowout argument between Charlie and Nicole. Because I, I, me personally, I love these kind of very human fight scenes where obviously there's no physical blows, but it's this kind of intense release of emotion. And in the film, you feel it building. You know, we hear we hear Nicole's side of the side of her story whenever she's talking to uh, her lawyer. Then we hear Charlie's point of view, and this is when I'm coming together, and really, it just it just explodes. And that was the scene, like where I was like, okay, I, I love this movie, but now I really love this movie. So for you, I mean, what? Talk to me a little bit about how do you create a fight scene like that how do you create like an argument scene like that because there is a rhythm to it there is there's you know a bit of choreography moving in and out of the kitchen and living room mm-hmm. even just the close-ups like the editing it's so just pull it, putting all that together how how do you in your opinion create an effective fight scene <laughs> well i think in addition to everything you've pointed out i think it's also about where it arrives in the movie because mm-hmm. it it goes to sort of what i was saying before it goes to the sort of pre the previous scenes are very important in in that they are that's where the lawyers have kind of taken focus and mm-hmm. we've and and Charlie and Nicole have have lost their kind of agency and mm-hmm. also their perspective I thought well pers- and their voices you mentioned and their voices yeah. and and perspective also was a kind of big part of the movie for me thinking about whose perspective are we in you know and of course the audience is going to have their own perspective so they're going to you know, in, in a sense, I always wanted to implicate the audience. Uh, uh, to take sides. <laughs> well, I think to arrive at the place of it's it's pointless to take sides. Yes. And and that scene illustrates that as well. So I, I think for me what helped was getting to that scene through the others. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was interested in how bo- the fight both, I mean, on, on one hand, of course, they say, you know, very cruel things, and mm-hmm. and they kind of go to a place that is, a, you know, that of course they would wish they could have avoided. Mm-hmm. But there's also catharsis in it because I felt that they need some way of finding their agency again, mm-hmm. their voices again, and it's sometimes it's in breakdown that you you know you need to break down, and I think that's particularly true for Charlie's character because Charlie's yeah. character has been is much more controlling and has been kind of catching up the whole movie mm-hmm. and this is in a sense where he can't hide anymore and, and you see that even in the blocking of the scene he's the one who's moving away he keeps yeah. he keeps and that was something where again you, it's we're not blocking it only for visual interest or the blocking actually is a in some ways a representation of the relationship between Charlie and Nicole throughout this movie where she's kind of much more there. She's there mm-hmm. from the beginning. She's she's in the most pain at the beginning. I mean, we see her, you know, we were sort of with her earlier mm-hmm. and, and he's a, not with us for a while. Um, and so I felt like, well, that by nature, all those things are kind of baked into the sequence itself. So, mm-hmm. but I thought, well, what happens? I mean, it's like children trying to, learn language it's 
they flail. They say nonsense. They say they can be mean. They can mm-hmm. be ridiculous. They can be, you know, it's 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 like trying to they're grasping, and it's like I and I I sort of thought of it a little bit that way of of like they don't know what they mean anymore, yeah. you know, and they're so you know they're in danger anyway of being corrupted by this system, right. and you know the story is of them finding both maintaining their humanity but also refinding humanity you yeah, know right. on the other side of the scene right. so i felt like the scene then it really was the placement of the scene that helped me write the scene if, if that makes sense yeah absolutely and of course you know the other scene that people are talking about is adam driver singing you know the steven sondheim uh steven sondheim number from the musical company and for me, you know, outside of the fact that you're watching Adam Driver sing, it was how quickly it came about. It did almost, in a way, feel like a musical because I remember I was watching it, and then I just was, I had to think to myself, did I miss something? Because it's like, you know, they just kind of they're like, oh, you know, sorry guys, I'm, I'm sorry that you know I'm bringing the mood down. Uh-huh. I was like, wait, <laughs> so were you, I mean, like, was that? Talk to me a little bit about why you felt that scene was important and. Just even the 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 composition of that scene because it really just kind of it's a it's a very interesting scene and it happens in a very interesting time in the movie and so you know obviously the placement of scenes scene is very important to you as we just discussed mm-hmm. so just talk to me a little bit about that scene and how and how it came together for you. Well, I thought I mean that also came from his character and his character's story. As I said, I think it both on one hand is the process he's catching up for mm-hmm. the whole movie, but it is also the movie in a sense is his necessary breakdown. Mm-hmm. Um, it's her building up and he's breaking down. And, and, and it's sort of in, in a sense, that's what's happening for the, the, over the course of the movie. And, and I think a companion piece to that song is her monologue in Nora's office. Mm-hmm. I mean, she has a great song too uh, from Company. But I think it, her monologue in a sense, and I saw as a, a kind of mirror of Charlie singing Being Alive, it, it's that... You actually, uh, and even though she doesn't sing that monologue, uh, the character's at a different place at the end of the scene than they are at the beginning. And right. and, and I do love that in musicals when, uh, you know, about musicals is that the, the songs are story. They move the, the narrative along. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be great if we could do that in a technically a non-musical? Yeah. Um, and so it was, again, it's placement, as you say. It's Adam, because <laughs> as the other scene is Scarlet. It's the song itself. Mm-hmm. But I also felt like it, it, it really does come from character. The character is a creative person who has maybe not quite been able to face up to every to everything going on in his life because he can't control it. Right. And I thought it was a moving concept to me that he would connect in art, that in a sense somebody else's art would help him mm. connect to himself, mm-hmm. which is what course we all love from art (laughs) Um, and but because he's creative and so in the process of sort of you know and you see and it was why we wanted him to also like do all the speaking parts from the song as well Mm -hmm. he kind of does all the because it it was a way to communicate he knows this song so well he knows the whole show he's probably sung this karaoke he's probably done this before and it you know it's like it's like uh stories that you know we all tell about ourselves or or movies that we've seen throughout our whole lives and how one day, 
you know, who knows how many times you've seen this movie or, or told the story in your life. And then one day you'd watch it and you suddenly start crying or you suddenly mm-hmm. have a different reaction. It means something else at, at, at this point. Or you're telling a story about yourself and suddenly you're more emotional about mm-hmm. it than you were before. It was funny the last you know, 40 right. times you told it and now suddenly it's not. I know that that's that's fascinating to me. And um, and again, it's about perspective, which I think is mm-hmm. what the movie is you know, partly about too. It's about where you are when. Right. And so, but, you know, all of that's worth a d- damn, except unless Adam <laughs> Driver is singing that song. True. <laughs> and, you know, before I let you go, I really have to ask about about the Barbie movie. I mean, hard left from all of this, because I know you, you probably can't say much. It's still very early, I'm sure. But I remember hearing about the idea kind of floating around in Hollywood and then, you know, it landed with Greta and I was like, oh, great. And then I was like, Noah's attached (laughs) to this as well. It just seems like such a departure from everything that you've been doing. So why what made you sign up for this? Well, you are speaking to the person who wrote Madagascar Three. Um, so <laughs> I always um, forget. Oh, yes, yeah. so forget that's uh, on your credit yes. as well. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I Margot Robbie had uh, come to us, and you know, she's amazing, and mm-hmm. and so Greta and I talked about it a bit, and we were cracking each other up with ideas and things, and so uh, we thought we'd take a crack at it, um, mm. uh, but we haven't begun it, so I, I don't. Yeah, I don't have anything, any tidbits to offer. No, it's fine. But I mean, how has it been for even wrapping your mind around something like this, knowing that you're, you know, you've been kind of steadfast in these and very no bombast. Well, I mean, I, it's not, it's not either or. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I think it's, you know, somebody asked me what, you know, what are your influences, or and I was like, movies, you yeah. know, and I don't distinguish between sorts of movies or kinds of movies and you know I mean if I love a movie I love a movie and Mm -hmm. and um, you know I also feel like what I do is in a kind of general sense or in a general or I should say kind of personal sense is an endless creative is is an endless conversation with my younger self Mm. who loved movies and dreamed of making movies had no idea how movies were made didn't know anybody who made movies and kind of thought they were magic i mean now there's so much information about you know like the fact that you would even know that that we're writing the barbie you know know, uh, (laughs) you know back for me then you know until it was a poster in the subway uh, you know i uh, you know, seeing the Ghostbusters symbol in the subway it was like, what is that? That's uh, going to be amazing, right. whatever that is. And I feel like I st- am still in touch with that boy who loved movies, and I still am that boy who loved movies. And so, in a sense, making a movie, you know, the, the movies I make, which are, you know, would be considered for adults, I suppose, mm-hmm. in a kind of general sense, I feel like those are as much a conversation with my younger self as then doing something like, you know, Fantastic Mr. Fox, which I wrote with mm-hmm. Wes that he made so brilliantly and, and Madagascar 3 or the, you know, that these are movies also that could be for younger people too. I, I love that idea. I think that's, it's all part of the same sort of spirit and love of this mm-hmm. medium. So to that end, to kind of wrap up, I mean, for you, how have you come to define creativity? I guess I don't define it. I think I... You live it. <laughs> well, I think it's. I, I think being open to the world. You know, I think it. I imagine it's different and has to be different for everybody. Um, but I, for me, it's about being listening and being you know, trying to be you know, open to things. Um, and I, I don't just mean like 
experiences in the world. But you know, in you know, when I watch my nine-year-old playing, like he'll go into his room and he's playing with action figures mm-hmm. or cars or you know things, and he's totally lost in the thing and he'll say like I'm going to go into my room and play right now <laughs> like he goes and makes time for it right. and, which I love and he's totally lost and you know if I'll come in and give him a, a sandwich or something and you know he's like you know thanks and then he goes back to work in a sense and I feel like and I feel like I'm doing the same thing yeah. um, just without the dolls <laughs> <laughs> I love that oh no this has been wonderful thank you so much thank you yeah Thanks for listening to Creative Conversation. Be sure to subscribe to Creative Conversation wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you like what you're hearing on this podcast, don't forget to rate and review. We always love hearing your feedback. I'm your host, Casey Finney.